parenting, it's the hardest job we'll ever do. Most of us are tired, stressed, and counting the minutes until bedtime. But what if raising kids could feel just a little lighter? I'm Dr. Hillary, a licensed psychologist and mama of three, and you're listening to the Raised Resilient Podcast, where each week we tackle tough parenting topics, and I help decode behavior and empower you with tools and strategies so that even the hardest moments make more sense. Because parenting is hard, no matter how you do it. But I can help you go from barely surviving to parenting in a way that feels good for you and your child. So warm up your coffee and grab your earbuds. It's time to raise resilient kids. Hello and welcome back to Raised Resilient. I'm your host, Dr. Hillary, and I'm so glad that you're here. So in today's episode, I want to talk about why we don't really use rewards with our kids. And I think it's a really important discussion because it can seem like rewards are this positive thing and why wouldn't we use them, right? Especially if they motivate our kids to do the things that we want them to do that maybe they don't want to do, like cleaning their room or clearing their plate after dinner or going to a sports practice. Why wouldn't we just reward that behavior? So I want to talk about why that can be sort of dangerous in ways that we might not see right away and what we can do instead to help our kids do these things and find that motivation from sources that are going to be better for them in the long run. So let's jump in. Most of us grew up with rewards in our lives in some way. So maybe we had stickers and prizes at school or we had treats at home for quote unquote good behavior. And even our grades were sort of like rewards, right? Getting an A might've felt like a reward for studying. And so you might be listening to this and wondering, what's the big deal? Rewards are positive. And if we're trying not to punish our kids, rewards can feel like a positive collaborative route to take. So what's the problem? Well, here's the mindset shift. And I think this is a really important one. So I talk a lot on this podcast about how I don't really believe behavior is inherently good or bad. Sure, there are behaviors that as parents we find desirable right? And other behaviors that are not ideal. And of course, there are behaviors that if they continue as our kids grow and they do them in contexts outside of the home, that's going to cause them consequences that we don't want, like hitting, right? That's a behavior that we want to help our kids stop over time. So of course, there are behaviors that we want to encourage. And then there are other behaviors that we want to, over time, help our kids find a way to stop. So hitting is a great example of that. But what I mean when I say that behavior is not inherently good or bad is this. There's always a reason that a child is doing a certain behavior. There's a reason that a child is hitting. There's a reason that your three-year-old drew on the wall. There's a reason that your child is fighting with their sibling. And the reason is not, well, this is just bad behavior. There's always something deeper going on. So for example, the child who's hitting doesn't have a better way to deal with their mad feelings, or maybe they do have those skills, but because they're so emotionally overloaded, they can't access those coping skills to deal with their angry feelings in that moment. Or the child who drew on the walls. Yes, that child may have been told, you can't draw on the walls. This happens in our house all the time. Even now, my five-year-old will still sometimes draw on the furniture in the playroom and it's maddening. Like I'm sitting here going, why are you drawing on this? I told you that you can only draw on paper. But even in kids five, six, seven, but especially for toddlers and preschoolers, they don't have the impulse control to remember not to do those things, especially when they're stressed or 
maybe they do remember that it's not okay, but you had sort of a big and unsettling reaction, which is understandable because again, it's maddening to see that your furniture is being drawn on over and over again, but they're doing it because their brain is wired to explore that. Their normally calm and regulated parent was like, ah, why are you drawing on my walls? And they're like, whoa, I've got to figure this out right? Does my parent still love me when I do this? Is this going to make my parent yell and get scary? And again, this is not a conscious process, but this child is trying to figure out what to expect from you in that moment. So that behavior is communicating, hey, mom, hey, dad, I need a more consistent response from you here. I might need a boundary. Hey, buddy, I'm not going to let you draw on the wall. I see that you really want to right now. I'm going to help you stop. And of course, when we don't get there in time, That child needs us to come in and say, oh, I see you drew on the walls and this is something I've asked you not to do, but I know that that's hard. And again, I don't do that perfectly. So sometimes my own kids push these limits because that's how their brains are wired. And so if I were to introduce a reward in that situation, okay, if you don't draw on the walls, you're going to get this sticker or you're going to get this treat. Or if you two can play together without hitting each other, you're going to get this cookie. It sounds fine, right? In theory. But here's the thing. If we reward our child for inhibiting that behavior, that missing skill or the need or that impulse control that they white knuckled through, but they don't quite have, it's going to come out somewhere else. So we're not actually solving the problem that the behavior is telling us about. We are just saying, you know what, kid, do whatever you've got to do, white knuckle through because you really want this cookie. And we're kind of ignoring whatever else might be going on. In the example with the sibling conflict, we're ignoring the fact that our kids don't have those skills to navigate that conflict in a better way. And so maybe they just stuff down their feelings for that half hour so they can get the cookie, but they're not learning anything. They're not actually learning new skills about how to navigate conflict. Here's another example. Let's say that you tell your child, if you stay in your bed all night and you do not call for me once, then in the morning you get to have pancakes. Now, most kids are going to be all about that, but here's the problem. So that child has a nightmare and they're scared and they need you but they really want those pancakes. And so in that moment, they're ignoring all of those signals from their body going, I'm scared. I need to talk to my trusted adult. And they're just powering through and stuffing that scared feeling down so that they can get the pancakes. Again, we're not dealing with the feeling underneath the behavior. And so that feeling, we're not helping our child learn to be with that feeling of being scared. We're not helping our child know that they are safe even when they feel scared. We're not doing anything for them except teaching them to ignore those feelings so they can get the reward. So the mindset shift here is all about how we look at behavior. If we look at the behavior as communicating something to us, then we are less worried about, okay, I need to modify this behavior no matter what. And we are more concerned with what's going on underneath that behavior. Can I get curious? Can I help my child with whatever that need, that missing skill, that impulse they couldn't control, whatever that behavior is communicating? Can I help my child with that? Because that's what's going to lead to lasting behavior change. And speaking of mindset, you know, mindset is such a huge part of parenting. Shifting your mindset as a parent is 
so incredibly powerful. It can literally be the thing that takes you from a place of constant frustration with your child, constant yelling, constant feeling like something's got to be wrong with your kid. Something's got to be wrong with you. Constantly feeling like you're getting it wrong to a place of knowing that all of what you're dealing with is something you are capable of responding to in a meaningful way. And that shift is priceless. I know because it's a shift that I've made in my own parenting. And so I have an amazing free resource for you. If you have not yet downloaded your copy, it's called six mindset shifts to ditch the overwhelm and parent in a way that feels good because that is my goal for you. I want parenting, even in the really hard moments to feel generally good for you to feel confident that even when things get really hard, that you've got this, you can get your copy of this guide today, totally free raisedresilient.com forward slash mindset. So with this mindset shift from seeing behavior as the problem to be fixed to seeing behavior as the manifestation of a problem underneath that behavior, something else that's going on. With that mindset shift, we can see why rewards just like punishments don't get at the root of the issue. But the thing that I think is so dangerous about rewards is that on the surface, they look really innocent. They look like something that we're giving to our child, not taking away. We're not hurting our child like we are with a punishment, right? A punishment is I'm going to make you regret that you did X, Y, or Z wrong, or that you didn't do X, Y, or Z. I'm going to do something that causes you some amount of pain and you are going to regret your decision. There's so much wrong with that. And you know, I don't know that I've actually done an episode on punishments. I've talked a lot about punishments over the course of the podcast, but Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think I've had a whole episode dedicated to that. And I think that would be a really good episode. So we'll do that for sure. But punishments are more obviously damaging. You are damaging that relationship, that connection you're working so hard to build with your child by saying, I'm going to do something that causes you harm so that you will do something better next time. Now, again, there are so many issues with that, but one of those things is that we assume that the child was purposefully choosing whatever it was that we didn't want them to do. They were either purposefully choosing not to do their homework or they were purposefully choosing to hit their sister. And as we've talked about so many times on this podcast, that's just not how behavior works. Behavior is that manifestation of what is going on underneath. And so rewards may not be causing our child harm, but they are assuming that our child has control over these behaviors and they just don't really want to control them normally, right? They're just not trying hard enough when they hit. And that is just simply not the case. I'm going to reiterate a quote from Dr. Ross Green, who wrote The Explosive Child, because I think it is just such an important quote for us to keep top of mind as parents. Kids do well when they can. And when they can't, we see all these behaviors that we don't want. And so we can't expect even something innocent seeming like a reward to actually over time, change behavior. And so this is actually what the research shows us. Rewards over time decrease motivation, not increase motivation. So if you are rewarding your child, let's say that you reward your child with a sticker for every good grade they bring home, which that's a whole other discussion as well, trying to figure out how to, how to support our kids' academic growth. But I'll save that for another time. But let's say that you're trying to reward your child for every grade that they bring home that you deem 
appropriate or you are rewarding your child for every book they read. Over time, what the research tells us is that that child is going to work less hard in school, not harder. That child is going to read fewer books over time and not more. We've got to help our kids connect with the feeling in their bodies of intrinsic motivation if we actually want to see our kids grow in these areas. Hey friend, if you're anything like I was as I got started on my journey to parent differently, you might be listening to this podcast and thinking, this is great, but I could really use a little more support. Maybe you need help with your child's meltdowns. Maybe you're struggling with aggressive behaviors. Maybe there's this one situation in parenting that keeps coming up and is throwing you off. Maybe you're struggling to stay calm and show up the way you want to. Whatever your struggle, I've got you covered. I am so excited to announce that I have opened up a few spots each week for one-on-one virtual parent coaching. This is your opportunity to work directly with me completely online to figure out whatever parenting challenge you are struggling with right now. You can go to raiseresilient.com forward slash coaching and book your session literally today, completely online. It really couldn't be easier to get the support you need. So go book your session today. I am so excited to work with you. So what do we do instead of using rewards? How do we actually help our kids connect with that feeling of intrinsic motivation? Well, first of all, if you are using rewards as part of your way of being with your kids, that's something that I'm going to challenge you to stop. And it doesn't have to be immediate, but can you phase it out over the next, let's say, couple of weeks? And you can have a conversation with your child. You can say, you know what? We were doing things this one way. We were giving you M&Ms every time that you did this, or we were giving you stickers for bringing home certain grades. And we realized that's not really the best thing for you. And anytime we realize that as parents, we're going to shift how we're doing things because we want the best for you. So we're going to stop doing that. And I know that might feel a little different, but I think in the long run, it's going to be best. And you can invite your child. Do you have questions? What do you think about that? And have a conversation. It's okay if your child doesn't like that. But include your child in the process and be transparent about your decision. It's for their best. And once you know better, you're modeling know better, do better, which is amazing. So let's phase out those rewards if you are using them. And then the second thing is for behaviors that you want your child to stop doing, things like hitting. Instead of using rewards to try to get your child to not do the thing, Get curious about why your child is doing the thing. Is your child hitting because they just don't have the impulse control not to? Are they hitting because they don't have the skills to do something different with their mad feelings? I have a whole episode on aggressive behaviors that is really helpful. So you can go back and listen to that specifically around how to respond to hitting. But instead of trying to reward your child for not doing the behavior, I want you to shift your mindset around how can I figure out why my child is doing that behavior? And then what can I do to meet that need? How can I, in a calm moment, help my child build those skills? How can I help my child handle those mad feelings in a different way? And then for behaviors that you want to see more of, like room cleaning or clearing the table after dinner, I want you to try to expand your focus from let's get our child to do this behavior right now, no matter the cost, 
it just needs to get done right now. And if we have to use rewards to do it, that's what we're going to do. I want you to expand your focus from that to what is going to help my child be motivated in the long run to do this behavior. So for example, we have our kids, once they're old enough, clear their plate after dinner. And so this is something that we've approached from the perspective of, you know what, as a family, this is something that each of us does to help out. And boy, it is such a cool thing to be able to help the family this way. It is such a cool thing to be able to participate in the cleanup. And we've talked about it like this. And so when our kids are old enough and big enough to do it, we'll say, you know what, you might be big enough to try this. Do you want to try? So when our kids were as young as three, we've had them carry their plates over to the counter by the sink. And we would tell them to carry their plates two thumbs on top so they didn't spill. That's a tip I got from Katie Kimball of Kids Cook Real Food. And then as they've gotten older and more capable, then we've had them eventually empty their plates and then put their plates in the dishwasher. We have created this as sort of part of the culture of our home. And so it's just something that our kids do. And My five-year-old was really excited to try because he was excited to finally be big enough to carry his plate like his big brother. We never had to reward them or otherwise incentivize them to do this. It's just something that we all do. And they're happy to do it because they want to be helpful. Now, I don't want you to think that we live in some weird utopian household where there's never pushback around these things. Of course, there are nights when, especially my oldest will be tired from a long day at school and he'll be like, can you just clear my plate for me? And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes we will look at him and go, yeah, you know what, buddy, I got it for you tonight because that models stepping in and helping somebody when they need it. But there are other nights where we'll say, ah, buddy, I know I really don't want to clear my plate tonight either. I really get that. Once you clear your plate, then we can all sit down and have dessert together. Or once you clear your plate, then we can go upstairs and read stories for bedtime. So it's not a reward. It's just this has to get done before this next part of our schedule. So that's another great tool to use for things like room cleaning too. Once you clean your room, we can all go to the park. Once you clean your room, we can all go out and get ice cream. Now you might be thinking, okay, Dr. Hillary, that sounds a whole lot like a reward. And I hear you, but here's the difference. We are not saying if you clear your plate, you're going to get this ice cream. Or if you clean your room, then you're going to get to go to the park. We are simply saying, Hey, this is what's next on the agenda. I can't wait to do this thing with you. But before we do it, we've got to do this other thing because that's life, right? Sometimes we have to go to work before we can go to a fun party on the weekend. Sometimes we have to go get the car inspected before we can come home and enjoy dinner with our family. This is how life works. And in setting things up this way, we are creating a natural flow of the day and a natural consequence, right? If my child is unwilling to clear his dinner plate, then maybe we don't have time once we finally do get upstairs for bedtime to read as much of a story or as many stories as we initially were going to. And that's a situation where, gosh, I wish we could too. It just took way too long downstairs cleaning up. I get that. We'll try again tomorrow. Another really important aspect of helping our kids do things that they might not want to do, like cleaning their rooms or brushing their teeth, is to help them connect with the good feelings in their bodies when they do the thing. So for example, when my kids clean their rooms, I ask them, I say, how does it feel to be in this space now that it's organized and cleaned and decluttered? 
And they can say to me, it feels so calm. My oldest will say, I just feel like I could play for hours. And that actually supports the research. You can go back and listen to the episode on encouraging independent play. But research shows that kids play better in environments with less clutter and environments with fewer toys. So when we help our kids clean up their rooms and maybe even declutter some of the toys that they don't play with as often, our kids are so much more likely to actually use the space. Well, there's a reason for that. And the reason is that that space feels more calming and induces more creativity for our child. So ask your child about that. Create a narrative around that. Help your child really connect how they're feeling in their bodies with words like calm and decluttered and inviting, right? Help your child really understand that, yeah, this is a real thing. That feeling that you're feeling is real. And when you clean your room, you're going to have that feeling. Or when you help me declutter and get rid of some of your toys, you're going to have that feeling. I was actually just interviewed on Ali Casaza's podcast, The Purpose Show, and we were talking about this. We were talking about how it can be really challenging to get kids on board to declutter because that's something she really helps people with is simplifying their lives and decluttering things that they don't need. So how do you get kids on board for that? And one of the things I said was, if you can help your child really tap into those feelings, because we all have them, but we have to help our kids really connect with those feelings. So the same thing goes for academics and extracurriculars. So my take on this is a little bit different than what most of us grew up with, but my take is that really, when my child brings home a report card, I'm going to be asking, how do you feel about this? I'm not going to be looking at it critically and going, well, why did you only get this? Why did you only get a B here? Why didn't you get an A? How many of you listening heard that from your parents? I know I did. I remember my dad speaking of rewards. He one year decided to give me $10 for every A. Well, you know what I did then. I was very motivated. And so I got 10 A's and he had to give me $100. And that was the last time that he ever rewarded me for academics, which was probably a good thing because eventually I developed some intrinsic motivation there. But It's funny looking back because I remember he was really invested, just like most of our parents. They were really invested in our grades because they really felt like that was the best thing for us. Now we know. We know enough about intrinsic motivation and we know that A, our interfering and B, our rewarding our kids' performance here doesn't actually lead to better results over time. So when my child brings home a report card, I'm going to say, how do you feel about your grades? Oh, yeah very cool, right? If my child shows me, Hey, I got this grade that I'm not so proud of. I'm going to say, what's going on there? What do you think? I'm not going to say, well, why did you get that grade? That needs to be better. I'm not going to punish and I'm not going to reward. And I would say the same thing for extracurriculars. I think it would be really helpful for me to do a whole episode on extracurriculars because I actually get a lot of questions around like, when should they start? How much should we push our kids? And I would say, just because I don't have time to go into all of this right now in this episode, it really needs to come from your child. So find something that your child is excited about. If you really want your child to do Taekwondo and they are not feeling it, don't push it. There is no reason to push it. And it does not become a developmental need for a child to start to have mastery over some sort of extracurricular until at the earliest 
around six to seven. Now that doesn't mean that if your child is really into dance or gymnastics or soccer or music that you can't start them earlier. Follow your child's lead here. But if your child is not expressing any particular interest, it is 100% okay for that extra time after school to be devoted to play. Seriously. That is awesome for your child. But, you know, both of my boys play soccer. This is something they really want to do. And their dad played soccer. And so they both play soccer. And so within that, there are days that they don't want to go. And that's something where we're going to encourage them to go, but we're not going to reward them. And we're not going to reward them for positive performance because we want that to come from them. We want to say at the end of the game, how was that? Did you have fun? How did you feel about how you played? And that led to a really amazing discussion last week with my eight-year-old where he was able to reflect on the game and say, you know, I had a lot of fun, but there were a couple of times when somebody passed me the ball and it didn't go where I wanted it to go. And so then I said, well, what do you think about that? He's like, well, I would like to be able to kick the ball where I want it to go more of the time. I said, okay, well, what do you think you need to do? And he's like, I think I just need to kick a bunch of balls. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. So what do you want to do about that? And he said, well, I think I could practice with daddy and maybe I could just go out and kick the ball on my own a little bit. I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And that's what he did. That came from him. That didn't come from me saying, hey, you missed this shot or you didn't do this, so we're not going to get this ice cream cone. Now, my husband will often take the kids out for milkshakes after soccer, but that is just sort of a fun ritual. It's not about if you play this way, you get a milkshake, and if you don't, then you don't. That's not what it is. It's not a reward. It's just a fun after soccer ritual that they all look forward to. So I hope this discussion on rewards has been helpful. As always, if you have follow-up questions, you can always email me, drhillary at raisedresilient.com, and I will either just answer your question or I might turn it into a follow-up podcast episode. So please feel free to reach out to me there. I love hearing from you and I read every email. Again, if you are using rewards, see if you can start to phase them out. See if you can start instead to try some of the strategies that I talked about here. And until next time, we've got this. I so appreciate you listening and being here. It really means the world to me. And if you are enjoying this podcast, leave a review and share with someone who could use this message. I really and truly believe that this is how we change the world. We spread the word about raising resilient kids, about being cycle breakers. So share this podcast, leave a review, and let's spread the word about raising resilient kids. Until next time, we've got this.